has moved away You must face yourself and you must say I remember better days Don't you cry cause she is gone She is only moving on Chasing mirrors through a haze Yeah, so the name of the book is No Bad Waves and uh, with a little subtitle called Talking Story with Mickey Munoz. So I'll read what follows. Uh, There are no bad waves, only a poor choice of equipment and a lousy attitude. A wave is universal energy, changing in response to environment and circumstance. Any wave can be ridden if you combine the right tools with the body and spirit. Matching the board to the wave lets you flow instead of fight. Attitude is the ultimate piece of equipment. No matter how good the wave or how tuned your board, a lousy attitude definitely ruins your day. Surfing is dynamic and constantly changing. Flow with the power and dance with the wind. Welcome back to part two of our interview with Mickey Munoz. This is Surf Splendor, and I'm your host, David Scales. If you haven't yet listened to part one of our interview with Mickey, I encourage you push pause on this interview right now. Go back and download part one and listen to that first. It's two episodes ago on Surf Splendor. And Mickey, he, he gives his take on modern surfing with his opinions about John John Florence, Kelly Slater, Gabriel Medina, but he also unpacks his history, talks about his experiences early on in Malibu with iconic kind of pioneer surfboard shapers, Joe Quigg, Matt Kivlin, his experience seeing Phil Edwards for the very first time, and then also discusses in detail his relationship with Mickey Dora and how that helped our Mickey define his own sense of morality and his own code of ethics. So that's a great intro into this conversation. So again, go back, listen to that, and then come back and click play right here. All right? I know you didn't come to listen to me talk. So without further ado, part two of our interview with Mickey Munoz. Um, I, I, you know, through surfing, um, because I, I worked in the first Gidget movie, I, I got in, in SAG and, and which was hard to, you know, it was expensive to get into and, and hard to get into. And so 
it was an opportunity to do that. So I, I ended up doing some stunt work. and Yeah, what was your exact role in the film, in Gidget? Well, I, I, I got to uh, do some uh, doubling for Sandra D in the surf side of it. Um, because I'm, you know, uh, short enough, and I used to, my line is, I used to look good in a bikini, but now my skin is wrinkled, my tits are sagging. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I tried to teach her how to surf, and, and, you know, she was this skinny little uh, Hollywood starlet who was great, ended up being a really good actress, but, you know, it's fall, the water's cold, you know, she no wetsuits and, yeah. and you know it was really hard for her so um, so I got to do some of the stunt work I worked on the set as you know doing as a lifeguard as a as a grip as a you know all all around because it's second unit and, and on the beach so I got a summer of work out of it and, and in, better pay than normal in the film are you surfing then or is there footage of you surfing in the film there, there is some and i think i'm doing a tandem thing i okay. can't even remember in fact <laughs> there's a big gidget event coming up this weekend at coronado and i uh, it's a gidget documentary or something and they're making a big deal out of it so i'm 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 off for there. I'll probably see myself on screen. Oh, wow. So they're asking you to participate in the documentary? Oh, or? oh they've already done the doc. Got it. Yeah, Got it. so this is this is just kind of a, a screening. But anyway. Gotcha. So, uh, but the other, I did get to do, um, um, I, I got to uh, double Mickey Rooney in a, in a TV series called Mickey. And so he and I are about the same height and a little different shape, but same, same name, Mickey. And, and, uh, and I hired on to do this, this water skiing stunt. I'd never water skied in my life. And I hired on as an expert. And so luckily a friend of mine took, took me down with his ski boat and gave me a half a day lesson in, in, water skiing and and he was a really good athlete was by the he? way and and also was probably a way better stuntman than me but they you know they can't gamble on on him sure and i don't know that he had water skied and, and it was a pretty tricky uh thing i kind of introduced a surfboard into the stunt business and one of the i mean basically mickey rooney's getting water ski lessons from this woman instructor and she and I are standing on the dock and we were holding on to the ski line and it's coiled up on the dock and we're standing in our skis and and uh, and she's giving instruction and and this the ski boat takes off uh, thinking that that they signaled and so I fly off the dock and and on two skis, land in the water, um, and and land on my back, and then, and then I get towed on my back with my skis over my head, which is not so easy. Sure. And and of course the instructress gets pulled off the dock, but she's now skiing, and she comes over and rescues me, and then I climb, and we do this tandem ski thing i kick my skis off and so you've got to go from laying on your back being planed across the water now to, to climbing on, on her. her yeah got and it so this is not an easy 
stunt to pull off. Yeah. And, and so uh, I finally, I, I, I made a, a board, uh, a plywood board that I strapped underneath my shirt onto my back so that I had a better planing surface. Sure. And I, I, I wasn't strong enough to hold onto the ski line and get pulled onto a plane, so I had the ski line tied into that piece of wood right? okay. coming out of the back of my neck. Oh, my gosh. And, and then they would launch me off my surfboard. I'd get on the back of my board with the nose sticking up, and the guy, the guy would punch it and pull me on the you know on the board till the board purled and i'm now planing right okay so i pulled it off of uh, you know four or five or six or eight takes right like that but one time instead of planing up i planed down and the guy didn't turn around and this is before you know they didn't have walkies and they you know no safety was, crew it was, on hand it was pretty loose right sure so the guy pulls me down underwater and luckily i broke the ski line it oh, broke because it would have planed you. Oh, I was way under. Oh, I was planing down, 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 down okay. at speed. I mean, we're talking full on inboard V eight right. Cadillac engine in the speedboat, you know, in the in the boat. I mean, or a straight eight. I don't remember, but it was a yeah big engine, big you know, powerful right ski boat, and and yeah, I mean, I was just this rag doll on the end and. But, but the line the end, broke, so in the yeah. end we pulled it off. Okay, right? we did pull it off, and so they rehired me to to do stunts sure. in the following uh, episodes. And, oh, okay. And so I did some fights and falls and stuff like that. And actually, Mickey, because he was, I'd never done that either. You mm-hmm. know? So he kind of took me under his wing and showed me, you know how to do all that stuff and so, awesome so yeah. you had a little friendship well a little bit you know i mean what whatever you can you know on the set you yeah know? and and so anyway the the series didn't sell i mean they did 13 weeks and i probably worked on three shows or four right. shows or something but it was something and, oh yeah and then i never you know and then to drive again you know being a surfer driving driving to hollywood to hustle yeah you know i i just that wasn't in me and and i knew people and whenever there was a, a you know a water something to do you know you You'd know, get the it call was appropriate i'd get hired so i did some other stuff well let me ask you this i did um, some diving things too you know where i worked for you know we did um uh, we blew up the capo pier and yeah the here in Long Beach and I want to get into that um but let me ask you first like with Gidget specifically because it was a surf movie you know I mean the other work it's surf related but it's not viewed by the public as a kind of exploitation of surfing Gidget I think the critics would argue that like this is going to make Malibu more crowded next year after this movie comes out no question did you have any apprehension or regrets after doing it in that respect or are you proud of the work i mean what did what how did, what role does it play in your life um no the only thing i'm proud of is i came up with the line <laughs> my skin, i used to look good in a bikini that's a good line it's wrinkling my tits are sagging it um, is a good line um i mean 
you know, surfing was already coming of age even before that. San Fernando Valley was driving out Malibu Canyon and learning to surf at Malibu. I mean, even before Gidget, it was like, well, maybe we should design this this kit that you can buy in the in the surf shop that's a the tail of a surfboard that you can strap onto the back of your car and, oh, okay. and then, you know, and put a towel under it and call yourself a surfer and not have to go in the water. So, oh, okay. I mean, by then, already, it was, I wouldn't say saturated, but it was coming popular. And Permeating. that's why Hollywood, that's why Hollywood made the film to begin with. Because right. Because there was, you know, surfing was already coming of age. So, I mean, kind of in the Dora consciousness, if I don't do it, somebody else will. Well, you know, I'm married. I got a couple kids. I need the work. I can use the money. Yeah. It's better money than I, I could make any other way and something I love to do, you know, and why not? Yeah. And and it, it kind of got me into the, you know, into SAG and stuff where, you know, I ended up doing some commercials and some other stuff. So all, all through my life, it's, it's, you know, it's been a little bit of income here and there and fun to do. How did um, shaping surfboards fit into that professionally? Was it simultaneous while you were getting occasional acting work? And did you get into shaping surfboards to make a living? Or did you have kind of design ideas that weren't being met by the other guys shaping boards that you needed to you know, create for your own surfing? Yeah, I think it was a combination of both. Okay. I mean, I, I, I needed to make a living. And what better way to make a living than to design and shape your own boards? And, and, and you know, uh, when, when, when we did the, the Tom Mori nose riding contest, um, you know, we 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 conceived of a nose riding design, and and so I went to Phil because Phil was the master shaper, and and he and I could talk. You know, surfboard design, and so we kind of conceived of that design together, and Phil shaped it. So. Um, and it became incredibly it, important. Well, pretty good. I mean, I guess, you know, there is some controversy about actually who won that, but, you know, they gave me first prize, so... What was the controversy? Well, that that there had been a miscounting of time or something, and, and so, uh, you know, there was... Uh, at one time, there was a thinking that Mike Henson might have won it, not me. And, and anyway, and it was, you know, anyway, whatever whatever yeah, it was, sure. it, you know, it ended up as it ended up. And, and the design concepts that we came up with turned out to be very valid. And right. even today are still incorporated, you know, uh, subtle parts of that design are still incorporated in 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 boards today so right. um, you know out of out of this specialty stuff uh, you know um, 
you know, when you take a design and you take it all the way out to the extremes, right. you learn from it. And yes, it's extreme. Yeah, it did it did nose ride really well, but it didn't do something else very good. Mm. So you take what you learn out there and you incorporate it with some other stuff and you try and come up with this, this, you know, not everybody can have two dozen boards and not right. everybody wants two dozen boards because there are a lot of, because the ocean is so dynamic that one wave might dig, you know, you might want that great nose rider, but it, the next wave after that, you might want something else. So, you know, you're really trying to find this 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 kind of medium that that works pretty good all around unless you're okay we're at chopu now and we're yeah. doing stand up barrels you know double triple overhead barrels okay this is what i want for that right and so but but most surfing isn't like that sure so so I got into shaping because, you know, back to my quig days of being a paperweight and back to, you know, trying to make my own board and 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 having ideas and wanting wanting to express those and and make a living too. I mean, how could it be better? Yeah. It's it's about as good as it gets. You yeah. Know, it's a circle, you know, it helps complete that circle of being a being able to ride and 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 make what you ride well talking about your shaping career specifically um you went to work for hobie for some time yep um were there any other labels that you worked under along the way or i i i shaped for donald takiyama a little bit that's right um i actually wasn't good enough to shape for him he's really a good shaper a perfectionist and and um, but I did, you know, I yeah. did shape shape boards for him, and I guess they were acceptable. But I always respected his his designs, and not necessarily that that was my idea of design, but I respected his designs sure. for what he did, and he was an incredible shaper. So and a, and and from a quality standpoint the quality of his boards were just exquisite right and so i and i would and assume not that hobies weren't too, no of course because i think they were but you could probably glean from each of those people when you're working side by side with them i would think oh for sure and improve your own oh, skill sure. set so you know i i i've always cherished being able to share that you know with other shapers and you know of course my my brother-in-law terry martin you know was one of the best of the best shapers and you know i loved watching him shape i'd yeah. go in and watch him shape and we'd talk design and shaping and forever and ever and and uh, and phil the same way although phil and i didn't totally agree on designs but master craftsman incredible craftsman and artist yeah what um did you have your own label throughout those years on the side or when did that come about i did um um i'm not an entrepreneur you know point me in the right direction and I hopefully i'll get there but but um uh i you know 
I was a Hobie team writer, and then and then you know Hobie started doing doing uh, name designs, and okay. so you know there was a Corky Carroll design, and and Mike Pur- or uh, I'm having yeah Mike Purpose actually he I think he did did some too, and and anyway, all through the Hobie era. Uh, he had he had named writers and would have designs and and you know and I got to shape a lot of those as well as as I had my own yeah and my own label which Hobie manufactured and and marketed and sold okay to supplement do you still shape today I do to what uh, degree and I mean, are you just working exclusively with custom orders that people ask you for? Or? Uh, no, I kind of got away from that a little bit because um, I, I, I wanted to concentrate more on prototyping for, for uh, you know, I got involved with Surf Tech with Randy French and, and Randy had come up with a, a process, a proprietary process for, for production type board. and. And it had been done in the past, but never had been done in the quality and 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 um, the the quality that 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 Randy uh, came up with. And so I could kind of see the hand, the writing on the wall that being a production shaper, um, yeah, there was a time when you could make pretty good money doing it, um, but but because of the way the industry had gone and so forth, uh, there was less and proportionally less and less money in production shaping. It's a lot of frickin' work. And, oh, yeah. And and I could see that, you know, the computer is only as good as the input, hmm. right? Sure. It takes an artist to input it. And so the argument, well, they're not hand-shaped. Well, yeah, yeah, they are. That that original prototype was not only hand shaped but tuned for years and years and years and years and years. It's the it's the a composite of all that experience and and yeah, there were some learning learning curves in there because you're working with different materials that have different different characteristics. But but the upside is that guess what? Actually, the manufactured the distributor all of all the people that are in line in the business of making surfboards can actually make a living doing it right i mean that's sustainable that's sustainable and you as the customer you're getting a board that's more durable it's it you can replicate it so let's say you you go to hawaii or rather than schlepping a surfboard in a bag through the LA International and and paying the price to get it on the airplane and all of that you can rent or buy or ship pre-ship a board over there and leave it and and you hurt if you the board gets run over or whatever you can go to the store and buy one just like it that you can rely on right, right? where custom yeah, hopefully every new custom board is better than the last one, but that doesn't necessarily follow. So, sure. So there were some a lot of advantages 
to it and 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 so I kind of saw that and and got on board with Randy early on and in fact at that time I was I was uh, Bill Stewart was manufacturing Hobie the Hobie label boards and I was shaping for and he was doing my label also and and so I was basically shaping production boards yeah. for Bill Stewart yeah. who was having them glassed and and marketing and selling them or selling them right so Bill kept going oh no you shouldn't get involved with that no don't get the you know da, da, da. and I finally went you know what Bill I got to make a living just like you and and right now you don't have enough orders to to satisfy what I need to make a living, so I'm going to go do something on my own here, mm-hmm. which is what you would do. Yeah, which he would have done. Sure. And so that's what I did. And so I walked in the back door of his shop with the very first sample, eleven footer that I made for Surf Tech, and Terry was there and bunch of other shapers and stuff and they're all eager to see it and they're going wow this is really light and I you know they're looking at it and going yeah it's really nice the finish is good it's really professional it looks great and Bill walked in you know and he he kind of looked at the board and he goes can we jump on it I go heck yes let's both jump on it so we put it fin down on the on the floor, and Bill and I got right in the center of it and jumped up and down. Phil, and Bill looks at it, eyeballs it, kind of went, hmm. You know, I could just see this little wry smile on his face. That afternoon, he called Randy, and he had a model. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Converted him? Yeah. Well, temporarily. Okay. Then he got, then he decided that no, this was hurting his business, and this wasn't a good thing. And he he wrote some pretty vehement articles against against him and pulled his model from Surftech. So, okay. But but Randy went into it, and he goes, "Okay, I could come into this and undercut the market because there's enough margin, but I'd rather come in at the same level as custom with." And just espouse the advantages. Sure. You know, I'm not saying they're better than or way better than, yeah. but here are the advantages. You make your choice. You can have one of each or right. two of each. Sure. Right? Um, I'm going to come in at the same dollar level. Right. And, and, but everybody in line. Mickey, you're going to make a nice, um, you know, nice royalty on this. Um, the manufacturers making their money. Randy, Surftech gets their cut. The the you know the distributors yeah. and the retailers are and the retailers were making more than on on a. I mean, that board originally landed in California was less than you could buy the materials to make a custom board. Where was the production being done? Thailand. Okay. So at a very, very advanced 
um, a facility that made high, very high level uh, composite. Yeah. Um, not only boards, but other other things for aerospace and stuff. You've ridden enough of the surf tech boards and enough polyurethane traditional custom boards. Uh, strictly from a surfing surfing standpoint, can you identify a difference between the two? Or yeah, so polyester urethane foam, um, poly polyester resin compared to epoxy resin is almost night and day. Sure, polyester resin is not as strong. It's a different chemical linkage than the than the epoxy resin. So, so you get a new custom um, polyurethane polyester uh, created board. When they're new, they're great. Sure, they work great. Kids, though, you know, the boards kept getting thinner and thinner and thinner and, and lighter and lighter and lighter. And so, and the kids are doing, and, you know, there's more impact on the board. So every time that board flexes, it's cracking microscopically. And, and you know, kids kids would come into the shop and go, oh, my board's waterlogged. No, no, I don't think so. I bet if we weighed your board when it went out of this door until you put wax on it, you know, you weigh it now and weigh the wax and weigh if it's got any dings that you've fixed yeah. and, and whatever, um, you know, that board's going to weigh pretty close to what it weighed when it went out the door. It's not waterlogged. It's dead. Yeah. It's, you've, you've, broken down the matrix to the point where it's no longer recoiling and so early on because I had been building boats and composite boats I changed my whole quiver over to epoxy not necessarily um, um, EPS EPS but but even with urethane foam the epoxy resin composite was a better better choice and it turns out that EPS because of the nature of the core, you know, you'd think from an engineering standpoint, we'll use Clark foam blanks as the as a role model as a model. Um, when they're pressure blown in the in the molds, it's pretty ideal because they they expand and as as they expand and the and the and the foam goes to the to the to the edges of the mold if you will mm -hmm. um, it gets compressed so if you were to cut that blank in half a cross section and look at it the center cells would be <coughs> more open and as you get to to the skin on the outside of the blank they get more dense well that's a pretty ideal from an engineering standpoint that's pretty ideal but surfing is this sort of dynamic um, where where the board is <coughs> part of the, the the characteristics of the board is its flex hmm. how it's reacting right flex wise and and again back to the polyester urethane example after two months of 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 you know 180 pounds up and down and pounding on that on that two and a half inch thick 
board, it's lost all its flex and yeah. recoil. Where epoxy is a much stronger matrix, and it it if you combine it with the right materials, that flex pattern is a lot different. Oh, epoxy boards float higher. No, they don't. They don't float any higher. You take a epoxy board. You take a. It doesn't matter what the board's made out of. If it weighs the same and displaces the same, it's going to float the same, pretty much, right? When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally Free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. The difference between the two is that the epoxy uh, EPS foam boards are, are not bending as far and they're recoiling quicker. Sure. So apparently when you're paddling them, they're floating higher only because you're not bending them and mushing them out yeah. as much as you would with a polyester urethane board. So back to the molded board. The molded board, um, because of its structural nature, is more is stiffer than both epoxy or polyester. And consequently, it took a little bit more in design to compensate for that, and some people just don't like it. Yeah because they're used to what they're used to and maybe in their own mind they can't accept it I don't know preconceived yeah but but you know you slightly change your style or whatever I'm not saying it's for everyone no and of course. I'm not saying it's going to be better than a custom board um, and I but but it definitely has its place and when we started dialing in the designs the weight to strength to to flex characteristics, the the production boards got a lot better and better and better and better as they went along. And, right. And and you know, if you did a double blind test, right. I bet you'd be hard pressed to find very many people that could tell the difference. Right. Okay. Can I offer you a an analogy yes. and ask you your Please. opinion on it? Sure. I'm into wine. I like wine, okay? And 
Kendall Jackson makes a manufactured style of wine that is replicable from vintage to vintage, and you can go to any grocery store in the country and find that exact wine. 2011 tastes the same as 2010. I don't really drink Kendall Jackson wine. I'm not looking for the replicable Coca-Cola experience, but my favorite wines come from wineries that it's a farmer working his land that maybe he got from a previous generation, his father and their father. So there's all this history steeped into the land. And technically, the wines have flaws. And one vintage may be significantly flawed. And one vintage may be a home run, you know, and that's the one you fall in love with. But you go to the winery every couple years or there's one specific wine that a friend gave to my wife and I one time when we were in Napa, took it to dinner. We loved the wine. Consequently, we buy every vintage through their mailing list just every year. We're going to buy it no matter what. And it isn't to do with the fact that the wine is technically perfect. It's to do with the fact that we drank it together at dinner in Napa that first time. And we know the winemaker and his wife and their dog. And we've been in the vineyard and there's all this sentiment attached to it. And even though one vintage may be technically flawed, I appreciate that flaw. And I like the characteristic of that flaw because I know all this sentiment attached to it you know and when that perfect vintage comes I enjoy that even more because of all this history I have with that wine and so price always matters of course but you know you're buying into all this history and that the romance of it I guess and so I kind of use that as an analogy with surfing sometimes where it's like I'm going to buy a board from this particular shaper just because I know how hard the guy works and I know that his hands toiled away and I know his family and that this money is going to every dollar matters to him, you know? So uh, I don't know what the question is, but I offer that as an analogy for surfing where I could I can hear the listener criticizing the uh, the surf tech model in that it's stripped away maybe some of the romance of the experience and and yeah i i mean there's no question uh, about that but but if you look at it like the vintner who is a shaper yeah exactly you just described shaping you know yeah there are good years and bad years and you know some of them are hits and and some of the flaws you learn from and and so if i if i shape if i shape a prototype for a production board to be done where well I got in a huge I got in a huge issue with with uh, um, with a known shaper uh, designer businessman uh, some years back before he died actually uh, we're having a forum and, and it's a similar analogy was brought up and and you know a lot of resentment against against uh, using the computer des- design right. and, and and boards that were shaped by a machine, right? Yeah. And and I'm going well. Wait a minute, you guys. So you guys have never done a close tolerance um, Clark foam blank. You've never shaped one. I don't think so. I think you have. 
and I think you've shaped thousands of them, and I know why. The blanks are so close that if you knew where to put the fin, you wouldn't even have to glass the board. Mm -hmm. You could actually surf that blank. Right. They're not that bad. Why did you do that? Why did you shape those and you didn't hack down a tree and start with this, yeah. you know, piece of lumber? Right. Why didn't you do that? Because guess what? You know, you got tired of eating air sandwiches. You had to make a living. You had to, you had to. You know, and you wanted to go surfing, so you you made it as easy as you could to replicate your ideas that you've got 50 years of past uh, coming up with. Okay. What's wrong with that? The art is there. Okay, and I, and I'll go back to your your analogy of 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 the sentiment and yeah. And, and all of that of having that first great bottle of wine with your wife and, and how good it was. And I can remember that wave of fills. Right. Um, would it be better if I had had a camera and shot the, a, a, a video of that wave? That video's in my mind. It, um, it arguably would dilute it if you were viewing it through the viewfinder. Well... I know you're not, you know, not everybody's going to be in the shore break at Waimea Bay when it's triple, quadruple overhead. Yeah. But uh, what's his, uh, I'm having a brain fade. Who? Help me. Who? Who does it? Oh, Clark Little. Clark Little, yeah. yeah. Sorry. Sorry, Clark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're fabulous. I, know. I mean, you're, you know, here's an artist who's in there, you know, shooting, I mean, is that like a fine wine, or, or would, or would you want to be in that shore break every day, sort of? I personally the same? wouldn't. No, no. So <laughs> I don't. Anyway, maybe that's a poor uh, no. way of looking at. It. But but I think both is valid. I mean, I, you're perfectly valid with what you talked about, and and I can only rationalize say that. Oh well. Here's one other point that I had to make with with the yeah. same argument that yeah. that you know have you guys done clock phone blanks? I go well, you know what this has done for me, this production board is the checks in the mail. What it's done is it's freed me up to be an artist. Right. It's freed me up to be able to to create new designs and new ideas and go out and and actually test them, and 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 keep progressing you know and not saying that production shaping is digressing because it isn't but it i i i want to see a base i like the base where that clark foam blank if it's perfect it gives me a it gives me a canvas that i can make uh subtle changes right. to one change at a time and i can I can then follow that through the process and and you know find out where I was, where I am, and where I hope to be. Right. And so, well, I think what you mentioned I've actually thought about before, which is the surf tech model isn't a model that doesn't include uh, artistry and thought 
and all of the uh, shapers past experiences it actually includes all of that stuff to a more significant degree and like you said with more years of refinement behind it so it's actually the goal is to be replicable but to get to that stage to be replicable all of the artistry went into it exactly so i get that too for, and, for sure yeah the replication then, process is where some of that is taken away but it was all there in the beginning to get that's there right. yeah and and so now freed up as an artist again right. and then i can take that i can take i'll give you an example uh early on in the in the in the sup uh era right my 12 foot surf tech was one of the few boards that was big enough for the average paddler to stand on and paddle. Mm -hmm. So using that as a base and and being able to replicate it, um, I wanted to explore, okay, what, okay, had I been a true genius, I would have made that board two or three inches wider. I would have been king, but you know, yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. but but I didn't. So so here it is. It's it's still a paddleable. You can paddle it, stand up paddle it. I mean, say you as a beginner would have a little. You're bigger guy. You'd have a little more problem on it than I would because I'm shorter and lower center of gravity and and lighter and so I, I would have an easier time learning on that board than you would but 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 I wanted to find out what the differences were in bottom contour so I took one of my 12-foot boards which even in the production deal it's not perfect 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 okay right? they're they're you know, but it's about as close as you can get. I mean, as good as Terry was at shaping, Terry Martin, um, you know, it, it was really hard to replicate an exact copy because he could do pretty well shaping, but then glassing is a little bit different. You know, the atmospheric conditions are different. The resin batch was different. The cloth batch was different. The glasser was different. And of course. So all of these factors weigh into the end result. Um, so I took one of my my 12-foot boards. It was pretty darn as close to the original as could be. And I drew an outline on the bottom. I I took a tool and and cut cut through all the skins and everything into the foam. And I peeled that bottom off. I concave the bottom and then I vacuumed that piece back down on it. And I concave the bottom just to see whether it added to stability, what it would do to the overall design. Hmm. Well, in concaving, it takes a little rocker out of it. In concaving, it 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 did seemed to add to some stability in certain conditions it it was paddled faster because it was a little more stable um surfing wise i probably would prefer it without the concave okay and now that i'm a better paddler i probably could paddle the the softer bottom faster than the concave bottom okay one. but it definitely i i learned a lot from that and and so that's why i can justify at least in my mind the close tolerance clark foam blank or the machine shaped 
blanks that most shapers are doing. As Velzi so aptly put it, shapers today are scrapers, not shapers. And it's true. Yeah. You don't even have to turn your planer on anymore. Yeah. Um, that's good. That planer's heavy. It makes a lot of noise. It makes a lot of dust. You Bad know? for your back. And it's, <laughs> yeah, it's hard. physically it's hard on yeah. you. You know, so okay, I don't have to use a planer every day. That's good yeah. for me. And again, because the checks in the mail, I, I can I can spend a little more time mucking around, right. doing an experiment like I did with my twelve foot board and learn something. So yeah. Um, yeah, I like that. Um, it expedites the learning curve, basically. I think so. But the ultimate question is kind of what you said earlier was, if it was just a double-blind study, like if you gave me one board or gave me two boards, one of each, and I took them out in the exact same conditions, rode the exact same wave, this is obviously a fictitious study that could never take place. But if you could, then what would I pick? You know what I mean? That's all it comes down to. And there's no way to do that study, unfortunately. So so to add a little interest to your wine okay, uh, wine thing, I have a friend uh, in Mexico that's a wine, kind of wine connoisseur. And yeah. he's a very bright, funny guy. And and, uh, and I don't know whether he came up with it or not, but 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 uh, according to his... And he, he deals with some very wealthy people that that are into wines that are not afraid to pay a thousand dollars plus for a bottle of wine right and when you're talking price you know yeah when, you know trader joe's five dollar bottles <laughs> as opposed to you know yeah they're two buck chuck you know as a qualitative five, but yeah but much over that <laughs> anyway uh double blind test uh, uh and my my wife, being a little more traditional, was appalled by it, but into a blender, turned the blender on, blended for about 30 seconds, poured into a crevasse, a crevasse? Crevasse. 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 Yeah. <laughs> poured into that crevasse. <laughs> and, 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 and his vintner friends say their motto is you know life is too short to wait for wine to breathe so they're all over it and we've done the sort of double blind test with it so 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 it's the same wine blended versus non-blended versus non-blended so so if you want to test it on your own pour half the bottle in the blender and take the other half and you know we use a you know we use one of the mixer spouts and venturi venturi thing to help uh, breathe it a little quicker and 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 every single time the blended wine was it just aerates it faster basically but doesn't damage it in any way well you wouldn't do a you know you'd want to filter a thousand dollar bottle of wine if you did it and maybe you'd want to Breathe, breathe a thousand dollar bottle in the traditional manner, but okay. Be inter- I'd love to get your feedback. On- I'll, I'll try it. I'll blend my next bottle. And see at how least, it goes. No, he had a plastic blender too, mm-hmm. and which just, you know, Peggy just went you right. At least I said ours is glass. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. <laughs> Interesting. And this all happened in Baja. This was. They make there. good wines down oh, there. They make some right, very nice. Wines. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Guada- Guadalupe Valley, is that yeah. what it is? Yeah. yeah. We drive through there all the time. I mean, we're, you know, because we drive down there. Yeah. So. Yeah, so you have a house down there? Is well, that? We, yeah, we have a place in, on the East Cape. So. Nice. Yeah. So how much time, do you divide your time then between Baja and uh, Southern California? Uh, we just started. Uh, okay. Peggy retired. Uh, she was a special ed teacher and retired uh, last Christmas. So, okay. So we spent... Uh, four or five months this last year and we'll probably spend at least that amount of time this year how much time do you spend traveling outside the country nowadays for surfing well that would be of course our big one but but you know every other year every two or three or four years we you know i get a chance to go to australia or you know i did that chasing dora thing in south africa and and you know I've done the Beeritz thing in Europe and, and um, you know, so it all, I mean, I don't, unfortunately, traveling these days is not only very expensive, but flying is like such a drag. It really is. It really is. It sucks. And, and especially if you're bringing boards. Yeah. You know, and, and I'm, I'm, I've been, a, you know, I've been enough places and around enough. I don't have this great yearning to have to go somewhere you know yeah and um and and uh you know like in my book you know no bad waves there are no bad waves only a poor choice of equipment and a lousy attitude and attitude being the most important and so i think that relates to kind of our conversation about surf tech a little bit where we're getting so caught up in the mire of this discussion and what's ethically right and wrong when in reality whatever the appropriate equipment is i mean you have a lot of experience body surfing the wedge that's a chapter in the book and longboarding and stand-up paddling and everything in between and it really seems like you said there's no bad ways it's all about your attitude if you want to get fussy about where the board came from you'll not enjoy the experience as much you know or that's just part of the great ambiance of 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 being a passionate surfer too so it's not wrong it's just um you know i mean i'm really fond of thinking and saying you know it doesn't matter how good you are where you're riding or what you're riding it it in the at the end of the day it it's measured in increments of smile, you know. Yeah. That's how it went. Yeah. And and you know, there every day is a good day. Some are better than others, but every day is a good day. Yeah. The glass is always half full. Can you tell me a little bit about the chapter, the Fountain of Youth? Uh, Yvonne Chenard uh, invited me to. Uh, do an Indonesian trip and a boat trip and 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 we're on that trip with his son and and a couple of his son's friends and and uh, anyway we got to surf all the hot shit breaks and and you know good bad or indifferent we we did it right what and, how old were you at this point or how long ago is this oh, it was well, I'm 77 now, so it was 10, 12 years ago, something like Mid-60s. that. Mid-60s. So I'm in my 60s. Right? Got it. And 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 I'm st- still able to surf well enough that I could pull it off. And, and, and uh, uh, 
one of the incidences that led up to this final Fountain of Youth uh, thing was uh, we're we're riding Scar Reef, and there's a good reef, a good reason it's called Scar Reef because anybody that surfed there at any length of time is usually covered with scars. It's a pretty gnarly break, and and and. Uh, you know, we're anchored real close to it, and, and early in the morning, there's no one out. I paddle over by myself and catch a few waves, and then the couple of the younger guys on the trip uh, paddled out. In fact, one of them, I think, was, I think he was 17 or something, and I dropped into this terrifying barrel, managed to come out, and, and I just came out of it and shot over the top of the wave with this big shit-eating grin on my face, and and you know and the kid was just like totally dazzled. So the youngest guy and the oldest guy in the trip, and I was like 50 years older than he was, and so you know I just I kind of smiled. I went, I don't think I have to surf anymore today, <laughs> and I just paddled back to the boat. Really? Yeah. So so. Uh, you know, the next day uh, we were on a 60-foot all-steel catch, and and the next night we're headed around towards Desert Point, which is reputedly one of the best waves in the world. And and uh, so we're 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 in the middle of the night. You know, the trades are blowing, and we're we're reaching, which is a more or less ideal point of sale for that boat. We've got the, the diesel engine is on at the same time. Um, uh, thousand horsepower diesel engine in it. And and we're trying to get around this point and it took us four and a half hours to go the next four miles because of the current. The current was so strong. Well, the current was headed in the direction of the desert point going into the face of the wave. So now, you know, we're anchored quarter of a mile from the point, paddle over to the point, the tides ride for it and everything. And you have to imagine these waves are coming from the, the uh, Antarctica, pretty much unimpeded, you know, deep water, unimpeded, that swell is marching into to Desert Point, and if you pictured the the point as the axis of a the wheel on a bicycle, and the spokes were the waves, that's kind of what it looks like. You just revolve that wheel, and those those spokes are are waves coming into Desert Point. So, unlike Scar Reef, Desert Point is an easier takeoff, but as as it progresses out towards the rim, if you will that wave gets bigger and gnarlier as mm. it goes. Well, inside is a is a reef that's exposed maybe a foot or two out of the water. You've got this horrendous 10-knot current going straight into the wave face, and you are now opposing that current, right? So the illusion of speed is just phenomenal. Mm. I mean, besides, it's like... Mac and barrel wave. Yeah. So I'm on a one of the set waves of the day, and and I'm I'm 
you know, to to ride a wave like that, you have to be positive in your mind. You oh, have yeah. to go, I am going to make this wave, no problem. Absolutely. I'm make it, right? What were you writing, by the way? Um, I was writing that board right there, which is an eight-foot balsa uh, kind of pintail gunny board. Three-fin. Three-fin thruster. Okay. So I'm pretty much hauling ass in this wave and I'm I'm again because you have to be positive I'm going there's no way in hell I'm going to make this wave this is unbelievable right I'm so far behind it seems like in my mind right that I'm not, but I've got to keep you trying got to go you don't want to yeah, yeah you don't want to can't stop, straighten right? out well unbeknownst to me Yvonne has has uh, broken his board in three pieces he is standing on the reef <laughs> now in standing on the dry reef I'm in this double plus overhead barrel which is 20 yards from the reef um, coming down the line headed towards him he's got the tail of this board in his tucked under his arm and he, he doesn't know what to do but he finally goes I can't be standing on the reef I'm out of here and dives off the reef lets the tail of the board go but it's still attached to the leash that's still attached to his ankle and he dives under this this you know freight train wave right and out of my periphery i see the tail of the board and i go oh shit i'm gonna hit a turtle i thought it was a turtle i didn't even know what it was but fine but i anyway i keep bending into this thing and i I make it another, I, you know, I couldn't believe I'd make it another 100 yards down the line in this thing and finally just go rocketing through the top of the wave. And, you know, the only way I can really describe it is like taking acid. I mean, I had this shit-eating grin on my face. I could not get off. I was like so ecstatic and so elated that you know, when I paddled back to the boat, and it just lasted and lasted and lasted. It was such an incredible experience because of the illusion of speed and the and the noise of the water and the wind and the whole thing was just this amazing experience for me. Right? Yeah. So, months later, Yvonne calls me and says, hey, would you write an article for for our catalog because you know the Patagonia catalog is famous for its you know articles on on experiences and so I thought about it and so I wrote about that that experience and 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 to sum it the only way I could think of summing it up and the more I thought about it the more I I felt like it was the real thing is that Einstein said that if you and I are sitting here right now and and you step on a spaceship and and you rocket away and you can rocket away faster than than the speed of light that theoretically you could come back and land and and you would be younger than when you left theoretically theoretically okay 
well, they're starting to figure out that maybe you can, maybe not us, but there might be things going faster than the speed of light actually now. So in theory anyway, sure. that's what Einstein said. And in theory, I say that that experience was such a high experience that the illusion of speed was so great that I exceeded the speed of light and came out of that barrel younger than when I got into it. Hmm. And come on, look at Kelly. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's a solid argument. I don't think I have to say more about that. Yeah. I think it sums it up. Yeah. And and that experience can be achieved climbing, you know, base jumping, uh, you know, imagine that guy, what was his name, Bombard, who stepped out at, uh, at 1,000, Yeah, that, you know, that GoPro stunt, yeah. jumping from outer space. You know, and went over 800 miles an hour. Yeah. You know, his body alone, come on. Okay. That guy came out younger than when he left. Well, um, <laughs> I, I completely get what you're saying, and you can achieve it through other things, but... Isn't barrel riding different? I mean, can you achieve that experience in the barrel? I would argue is un unobtainable through any other means. There's other means that might do something that's also really radical, but I don't know. That just sounds so majestic, you know. Well, and and look how lucky we are to be surfers. I mean, dealing with waves. Yeah. I mean, our whole Earth is. Our whole universe is all about waves. Yeah. You know, light waves, sound waves, you know, on and on and on. It's all about waves. And here we are, we're able to not only create the toy to make that wave riding, you know, more efficient, but we're able to ride that wave. Yeah. And and have some feeling and knowledge about it. Right. And and you know, there's another well you know, I don't know whether you want me to go into it, but Feel one free. of the other one of the other parts of you know the the book is about talking story, but it's really about um, the experience of riding waves and and the fact that we are surfers and surfing is such a unique experience and. One of the other things that, one of the other great um, learning things for me was was the experience of. Uh, I'm I'm with a painter friend in Baja. He's he's leased some land down there and he's put a trailer on it. And this is this is in the early 70s before Northern Baja was being developed and stuff. I had never watched a painting being painted fully painted right start mm -hmm. to finish and he painted in acrylics and he was really fast and he's a really good artist and painter so we're standing on this bluff looking north with with the halfway house on the on the bluff sitting on the edge of the bluff the ocean to the left the mountains to the right we're looking north and he is painting and he's He's using a color on the on the in the mountains, and then he looks over to the ocean and sees a, a opportunity and paints in a wave and, and using that color and and then he 
gets another color, he's painting into that wave and, and what that wave is looking like and the influence around it because you're looking at, you know, faded out in the distance 10 miles up the coast and back a few miles and, you know, yeah. what's happening right there next to him on the left and now he's painting in the field, now he's painting in the halfway house, now he's over in the mountains and suddenly all this blur of color is now starting to take form and shape and the whole time he's painting the ocean, well each time he's painting it, it's different. Right. Because the wave that just broke is now going up and above water level, well it seeks its own water seeks its own level, right? So it goes out in the form of a rip or a backwash or a tie, a, a, a idiosyncrasy that influences the following wave and so forth and so on. So, you know, it was, for me, a, when he froze that painting finally, when he finally finished the painting and froze that last wave, it was breaking because all behind that wave were these layers of, of influence and time. And I got to realize that our present is really built on the past and how, how the past influences the present and the present will influence the future. So it's, a, it's, it's this ongoing sort of series of waves that, that is your life, basically. And, and anyway, so to me it was a huge lesson yeah um, just in reality it, it's interesting that that painting uh, was what crystallized that for you well because I could see it so clearly you know it was so clear in my you know just watching him because he, he did the painting start to finish in two hours mm. boom 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 just like shaping a board and and you know, again, I think maybe that's why I was so fascinated with, with Joe Quigg sculpting a board because it was all his past, you know. When Joe Quigg made his boat, it was all that past experience, um, surfboards and waves that went into his boat. Yeah. And, 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 and again, you know, you know, back to the computer, back to the machine shaping, back to all of that. Um, to me, that's why um, it's not really. It's important what you your example of the of the wine, but but it's all there no matter how it's expressed. Mm. And and you know, maybe the computers will. You know they're already smarter than I am for sure, but <laughs> and maybe they'll be smart enough to really think that. But yeah, but I don't think so. I think the creativity of the artist will still be um, right. Yeah. A stick, a stone. It's the end of the road. It's feeling alone. It's the weight of your load. It's a sliver of glass, it's life, it's the sun, it's night, it's death, it's a knife, it's a gun. A Final question for everybody who's interviewed is, what was the last surfboard that you rode? Um, old surfboard or surfboard? I Either or, what was the last craft that you rode in the ocean? Well, the last, last craft was yesterday at about this time, and I was riding my 710 sup. 
Made by whom? By me. Excellent. <laughs> and can people... So I, I, you know, I shaped it, I designed it, I finned it. And finning, of course, is one of the black arts of surfboard design. And however the board's done, that finning is hugely important. So, you know, that's a whole other art in itself. And... and and maybe an example of, of how complex and how deep the layers are in, in, in surfboard design. Mm. There's so much more to it than the skin, if you will. Yeah. yeah. Was it about that time you get back out in the water today? or? I'm probably going to add a few. Perfect. Yeah, I put in about three hours yesterday, so I'm Thank a little you. beat up right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I need, I, in fact, I've surf so much you know i started early in the week of big wednesday and then been riding ever since every day so it's the mud of fish of flesh of wish of wing it's a hawk it's a dove it's the promise of spring and the river bank sings of the waters of march it's the end of despair it's the joy in your heart that concludes our interview with Mickey Munoz, the basis of which was Mickey's book, No Bad Waves, distributed through Patagonia Books, and we'll have a link to purchase the book on our website, surfsplendorpodcast.com, where we also have plenty of images and video of Mickey doing what he does best. Thank you for tuning in to yet another episode of Surf Splendor. We hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Mickey and we'll look forward to bringing you a brand new episode next week. This is David Scales signing off for Surf Splendor and saying ciao. A sigh, a breath, a walk, a run, a life, a death, the rain, the sun, and the riverbank sings of the waters of March. It's the promise of life, it's the joy in your heart. São as águas de março fechando o verão, e a promessa de vida no teu coração. É pau, é pedra, é o fim do caminho, é um resto de toco, é um pouco sozinho, é pau. Pedra é o fim do caminho, resto de toco, pouco sozinho, pão, pedra, fim do caminho.